Heavenly Father, we pray that as we come to your word this morning, you would be working in us to make us stand firm to the end. Would these words of Paul here strengthen, encourage and build us up and help us to build each other up until the Lord Jesus returns? Would you empower my words by the Holy Spirit and cause us to hear the very words of God this morning? Amen. Well, I wonder, did you know that since 1875, there have been 2,905 successful recorded swims across the English Channel? The Channel Swimming Association, that is the CSA, keeps a record of every person who has ever managed it. Each and every single success is listed on their websites. But it's not for the faint-hearted. Uh, the CSA tells all the potential swimmers that, and I quote, it's not the distance that's the challenge, but more the British variable conditions you're likely to encounter. Uh, these may vary from winds reaching wind force six and wave heights in excess of two metres. Uh, the water is cold. There's a good chance of meeting jellyfish, seaweed and the occasional plank of wood. It's one of the busiest shipping lanes in the world with 600 tankers passing through, as well as 200 ferries, like P&O there, and other vessels crowing across it daily. Who's up for it? Uh, everyone's keeping their hands down. It's a very British challenge, isn't it? And it just so happens that the record for the most successful swims in one go was taken by the Aussies. But all the advice... All of the advice needed for succeeding in this challenge says, continue the way you started. Continue the way you started, or as that famous philosopher Dory from Finding Nemo said, just keep swimming. Just keep swimming. Amidst the jellyfish, the seaweed, the occasional plank of wood, or the Aussie doing laps around you, just keep swimming. Continue as you started. Well, we're in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and this letter here is a letter written to a church that's been against the tides. This small church in Thessalonica has had a lot, and I mean a lot of pressure on them. Now, Acts chapter 17 tells us that they came to faith in the midst of mob violence. Then, to make matters worse, their church planter, uh, the Apostle Paul, had been unable to visit them to see how they were doing, to encourage them in their faith as he would usually do. Yet, there had been a genuine work of the gospel in Thessalonica. These believers had heard and believed the gospel, and that had changed their lives. They were working by faith, labouring in love and enduring in hope. They had turned from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven. They were truly new covenant believers. They'd begun well and they were doing well. Paul had heard from his protege Timothy the great news that despite pressure 
this small church had continued in their faith. They were doing well. But here in 1 Thessalonians 5, the question in Paul's mind, and what we're thinking this morning too, is will they make it to the end? Will they be like a successful channel swimmer, making it into the famed CSA website records? Will they continue to the end? See, in this passage here, Paul is outlining what standing firm to the end requires. What did these believers here need to continue to stand firm to the end? And hopefully you've clocked, we're in the same position too. Our task is to continue until Jesus returns. Jesus' return is the finish line. That is our goal. And that future event affects how we live now. So we need this encouragement to keep going as well. So how will the Thessalonians and how will we continue to stand firm to the end? Well, the answer is through love and devotion. Now, when I mentioned this title to my wife, she said, oh, it's been Valentine's Day recently, hasn't it? Uh, It's not that. This is meaty love, meaty devotion. We're going to see as we go. How do you get through love and devotion? That is the two big things Paul has with two specific focuses for us this morning. Love and devotion. And those are two things Paul has already called believers to. Uh, In chapter four, you want to flick back there, one page. Chapter four, verse one, Paul applauded the Thessalonians for living lives that pleased God. Living lives of devotion to God. Have a look at chapter four, verse one. It's up there on the screen as well. Paul said, as for matters, brothers and sisters, we instructed you how to live in order to please God. As in fact, you are living. Now we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more. You see it there, can't you? Uh, The Thessalonians, they're doing well now. And so Paul says, continue, keep doing it more and more. Paul urges them to keep going in their devotion, in their holy living for the Lord. And then he says the same thing about love. Just scroll down to uh, verse 10. Paul says, in fact, you do love all of God's people, all of God's family throughout Macedonia. Yet we urge you, brothers and sisters, to do so more and more. You see, again, you do love. And so Paul urges them more and more. See the two things there, love and holy living. Peace among the family believers and devotion to the Lord. The Thessalonians are already doing it. So Paul says to them, keep doing it more and more. Continue as you began. See, 1 Thessalonians is an amazing letter because it's an encouragement to a church that is just simply continuing. A church that is continuing to do the same thing they did when they began. So as you continue to follow Jesus, keep doing the same things, but more and more. Each of the 17 commands here in this passage tie into the ideas of love and devotion. And the great news for all of us here is that he who calls you to do it is faithful to ensure it happens. So let's think about love, shall we? The first area Paul applies love into is this one. Love your leaders. That is our first point this morning if you're a note taker. How will you continue to stand firm to the end? By loving your leaders. Have a look down at verses 12 to 13. 
Now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who work hard among you, who care for you in the Lord and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard in love because of their work. Live in peace with each other. I had the the privilege of uh, delving into leadership reading a while ago. It's a great thing to spend time doing. But one of the the leadership books on my bookshelf I still have defines a leader like this. A leader who has someone, a leader is someone who has people following them. A leader is someone who has people following them. Just think about it for a minute. If you're a leader and you don't have people following you, well, you're just out for a walk, aren't you? Paul wants us to see that the right relationship with leaders in a church is key to standing firm to the end. So what does Paul have to say about leaders? Well, firstly, look at verse 12. Firstly, leaders are those who work hard among you. The leaders are those who worked like Paul did earlier in this letter. They worked day and night for the good of those in their care. They are working or labouring in love as those who've been transformed by the gospel. Verse 13, they ought to be held in the highest regard in love because of their work. So what does their work entail? What is the hard work a leader does? Well, verse 12 fleshes out for us. It is caring for you in the Lord and admonishing you. Well, you could say a leader shepherds and a leader corrects. Holding leaders in high regard is essential to the firmness of a church. You only have to think of the opposite for how a church falls apart. Uh, when a church rejects its leaders or when a church splits over leaders in a church. If you've been with us for 1 Corinthians on a Sunday night, you know that's what's happened there. It doesn't take much to realise just how important leaders are to the fabric of a church. Now, it's easy to follow a leader when the going's good, when they are caring for you and when you want to be cared for, of course. But it's far more difficult, isn't it, when admonition needs to happen. That is when you need correcting. Now, I hope you're not thinking I miss the irony that I'm one of the leaders of this church saying this. As a leader, let me tell you, it is really difficult for the leader to correct as well as for the person being corrected. We don't wake up in the morning hoping to be correcting people. In fact, we don't want to do it when it has to happen. No leader wants to admonish. No leader in their right mind enjoys correcting others. It takes real work, real effort, real courage to do it. And let's face it, none of us likes to be shown where we're missing the mark, do we? That's why we need to listen to what Paul says here. See what Paul says here. That's the authority this morning. Paul says this because it is essential for keeping us on the right path to the very end. This church in Thessalonica is a young church. These leaders wouldn't have been believers for very long themselves. That's going to make it even harder, isn't it? But Paul says this to them. How much more does he say it to us? A church that's going to stand firm needs to be shepherded and corrected. It needs leaders to care for and admonish its members. It needs the members to be shepherded and corrected. And it takes effort on both sides. But a church that loves its leaders makes that job so much easier. And so that church is much more healthy. 
I'm so thankful for this church. I'm so thankful for the way that you show love to me and my family. I know Sam would say the same thing. I know the other elders would say the same thing. Thank you for your love for us. But let's continue to stand firm, shall we? Let's continue to stand firm by loving our leaders in this church. But before you think that's the only reason I'm talking about this passage, have a look where we go next. Because it's not just leaders that need to be loved. Paul calls believers to love one another. That is our second point this morning. Love one another. You see that in verses 14 and 15. Have a look with me. And we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive. Encourage the disheartened. Help the weak. Be patient with everyone. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. A church family impacted by the gospel is made up of all sorts of different people. Just have a look around this room. Some people are more trained at doing this recently. But just have a look around this room. You only have to look around and see how unifying the gospel message is. And if there's all sorts of different people in this room and in this church, well, that means there'll be all sorts of different people who need all sorts of different help on this journey that we are sharing together. You could say there are different strokes for different folks. Uh, you need the right medicine for the right illness. Paul mentions three different groups in Thessalonica that ought to be loved in different ways. And if you were to get the medicine wrong in each of these, it would be disastrous. It shows us the multi-angled meaning of the word love. So firstly, did you see? We've got the idle and the disruptive there in verse 14. What do they need? Well, they need warning. Why? Well, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 3, Paul says, We remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labour prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Can you see why being idle and disruptive might be a bad thing? Well, because it's the opposite of what the gospel does. It's the opposite of the work produced by faith. You see, it's actually a sign, a potential sign of faithlessness. It's to be in danger of being asleep when Jesus returns. So the loving thing to do for those church members is to warn them, to remind them that Jesus is coming back. In fact, the word there, the warn word, is actually the same word we had earlier. It's the word admonish. Just like the leaders are called to do, just like Paul has done, the church family is meant to correct each other. We're teammates in a relay. We need to keep each other going, encourage each other in the gospel, pick each other up where we're flagging. And Paul says here, do you see? That is love. That is the loving thing to do. Secondly, the disheartened, they need encouragement. It'd be totally the wrong approach, wouldn't it, to warn a disheartened person. Instead, what are we to do? What does Paul say? He says, encourage them. Now, perhaps in the Thessalonian church, these are the people who are suffering from persecution or those who might be feeling the loss of a loved one. Loving them looks like encouraging them in the truth of the gospel, reminding them what Jesus has done and that because of that, we will be with him forever. 
Again, that's exactly what Paul has done through this letter. Now, thirdly, the weak. Well, the weak need help. Those who struggle uh, with part of their faith, whether that is a spiritual struggle or a physical struggle, whether that's a particular temptation they face, something that the tempter could exploit. Church families are to love each other, to love one another by helping the weak. And if those categories didn't catch everyone, well, Paul widens the net to everyone at the end of the verse. Look at verse 14 and 15 again. Be patient with everyone. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. Do you see the point there? Love one another. That is how you continue to stand firm to the end. Again, it doesn't take much, does it, to see how not doing this can lead to a church not standing firm. A church that is made up of solo mountaineers is not going to stick together. In fact, you only have to turn on BBC One on a Thursday night to see this in action. Uh, as a team in The Apprentice made up of big egoed entrepreneurs fail to stand together. Each one there is out to make a name for themselves. You just know it's going to fall apart. In fact, you get into the boardroom, Lord Sugar says, whose fault was this? And they all start pointing at each other, don't they? It all falls apart. But the church should not be like an episode of The Apprentice. A church should be those who love one another. Having a group that loves you and that you can love is how you make it to the end. That is why attending, serving, being a real part of a church family is so important to the Christian life. In fact, Paul would warn you, not being part of a church family is bad for being a Christian. Instead, committing to and being committed to is the way to keep going. But that does take work, doesn't it? And we need this encouragement because in the interest of love, we could end up not loving each other. What do I mean by that? Well, sometimes love is tough. Sometimes love takes effort. Sometimes love can be scary. I mean, it's easy to be nice. It's easy to be nice to one another. It's easy on a Sunday morning to put a smile on, to say everything's okay and just carry on. But it is so much harder, so much more costly to really, really love one another. The thing about these situations here, uh, to come alongside the disheartened may take a long time. It may take a lot of work. Uh, to give help to the weak, well, it might have setbacks. It might have disappointments along the way. To admonish, that is to warn the idle and disruptive, it's already hard enough for the leader. But when you risk upsetting someone that you actually like, well, you could end up losing friends. But real Christianity, real Christianity serves the living and true God in his church, through his church. And so this is the loving thing to do. And believe it or not, it is for everyone's good. Real love takes real effort. And if we want to make it to the end, if we want to continue to the very end, we need to love one another. So love your leaders. 
love one another. More and more and more and more love. That is key, Paul says, if you're going to make it to the very end. And then in verses 16 to 28, Paul turns from the horizontal, that is each other, to the vertical. He moves from love to holiness. Or you could use another word. He moves from love to devotion. And the first place our devotion should show is to the Lord. That is our third point this morning. Be devoted to the Lord. And when we say that, we're saying both by listening to him and by speaking to him. So firstly, speaking to him at all times. Look out for the all words uh, as I read verses 16 to 18. Rejoice always. Pray continue all Lee. Give thanks in all circumstances for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Did you hear the alls? Paul is saying in every situation speak to God. Pray to him. That is exactly what Paul's been doing throughout this letter. You can go back and flick through the pages. Paul has been rejoicing to God in the Thessalonians. He's been praying to God for them at all points. He's been giving thanks to God for them. In all situations, speak to God. Continue to do that more and more. In fact, end of verse 18, do you see what Paul says there? Paul can say this is God's will for us in Christ Jesus. Paul said that already in this letter before. Back in chapter 4, verse 3, Paul said, God's will is for you to be sanctified. God's will is for you to be sanctified. That is, to be made holy. That's what prayer does as well. So Paul's not saying two different things. He's saying the same thing here. See, as you pray more and more, in all situations, you align yourself more and more with what God is doing in this world. You are more and more devoted, invested in God's plan for yourself and for those around you. And if you're that way, it'll keep you going to the end. That's why prayer meetings are so important. That's why we want to encourage you to be here on a Sunday night, because prayer is vital to the life of the church. That's why people meet on a Monday and a Friday to pray, because speaking to God is vital to our standing firm as a church. So speak to God. Also listen to God. That is the second part of this section, verses 19 to 22. Have a look down at verse 19. Do not quench the Spirit. Do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all. Hold on to what is good. Reject every kind of evil. Right at the start of the letter, Paul reminded the Thessalonians they were brought to faith through God's words. This is 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 5. Paul said, Our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. Here's my question for you. What is the Spirit doing? What is the Spirit doing there? Look carefully at the text. See, when the Thessalonians heard Paul preach, the Holy Spirit was at work through God's words. The Holy Spirit empowered the preaching of the gospel. And let me tell you now, God's word is not something 
the Christian ever graduates from. God's words, the Bible, is not something a Christian ever, ever graduates from. So for a church to stand firm, for you, for we to continue to stand firm, we need to keep listening to God. And the Thessalonians, they started well, remember, they're doing well, but to finish well, they need to not ignore that same word. Or as Paul can say here, they need to not quench the spirits. They need to not stand in opposition to what the spirit is doing as God's word is going out. And you can see Paul is thinking that way because it continues. That means not denying God's words. That means not denying God's words being spoken. That would be here to uh, treat prophecy with contempt. We're thinking about that in Acts already, aren't we? As the Holy Spirit comes on you and they prophesy, they speak God's word, they preach the good news of Jesus. That's what's going on here. So we're going to think more about this as weeks go on. But our job, do you see our job there? Our job is to test them all, verse 21. Your job, our job, is to test the teaching. We are to hear and heed teaching when it is good. That is when it aligns with God's word. But we are to avoid it like the plague when it's bad, when it doesn't align with God's words. We're to reject every kind of evil. I don't know if you read the news about Christianity in the UK. Perhaps it's just me. But perhaps you've read this. These stats keep coming out. But generally, the churches that are focused on and continue to focus on God's words are the churches that are avoiding decline. Meanwhile, the churches that are rejecting God's words, who are saying we know better, are the churches that are shrinking and declining. That shouldn't surprise us, should it? It's exactly what 1 Thessalonians says is going to happen. If a church wants to stand firm, if we want to stand firm, Christchurch Hemel, to the end, we need to keep listening to God's words. Yeah, the struggle is when trials come, when the pressure mounts, when our family turn away. When other things are crowding in, our natural response to trial is to bunker down, isn't it? To stop attending things, to try and go it alone, to try and solve the problem ourselves. Hear me on this. Really hear me on this. To keep standing firm, we need to do the opposite. We need the prayer meeting. We need the growth group meeting. We need the CCY meeting. We need the women's group. We need to see each other. We need to remember the gospel. We need to pray to God in all situations. We need to keep hearing God's words. That is how you continue through trials. That's what the Thessalonians have been doing. So what's Paul saying? Keep doing it more and more and more. So let me encourage each of us this morning. Continue in your devotion to the Lord. And do it more and more and more. Speak to God. Listen to God. Be devoted to the Lord. And that leads us to our fourth and final thing this morning. And that is be devoted to Paul's message. Have a look at verses 25 to 28. Brothers and sisters, pray for us. Greet all God's people with a holy kiss. I charge you before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers and sisters. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be 
with you. Paul's message, or the gospel here, has caused a family to grow in Thessalonica. Uh, Throughout this passage, throughout this letter, Paul refers to his readers as brothers and sisters. That's family language, isn't it? We are united together through the gospel message. In Thessalonica, God has built his household through his gospel. And so Paul concludes this letter calling the Thessalonians to pray for him and for his team, to pray for Paul, for Silas, for Timothy. In the gospel going out through them and for them as fellow believers in that gospel, united in Christ with the Thessalonian church. You know, praying with other believers is such a joy and privilege. And we get to do that. Paul calls them to greet each other with a holy kiss. Well, hold on. What he's saying there is with a warm welcome. A familial, that is a welcome you give to your nan. Notice it's a holy kiss here. Holy meaning devoted. It's part of God's plan for relationships within his gospel ball family. And he calls them to read this letter to the rest of the family. This letter that drips with the gospel message. And he reminds them of that gospel bought by grace. The generosity of Christ in the good news of Jesus. That is for them through the gospel. So again, we need to remember this message, this gospel. We need to apply this gospel to our lives. We need each other to do that well. So continue to be devoted to Paul's message, to the gospel, to the very end. So there we go. How do you continue to the end? Well, more and more love and more and more devotion. That is Paul's answer to the question of how you continue to stand firm to the end. Just like a channel swimmer, The Thessalonians need to continue as they started. They started doing those things. They are doing those things now. Great, Paul says. Now continue more and more. If Paul was speaking to us today, he'd say, you started doing those things, Christchurch Hemel. You're continuing to do them now. Now continue to the end. But if you've really been listening, you might be thinking to yourself, that sounds like hard work. In fact, let me tell you now, it is hard work work are we really going to manage this well if we all left this morning thinking it's all on us we might feel quite discouraged but hopefully as you've been checking the teaching as we're called to do you will have noticed i skipped two verses verses 23 and 24 have a look at the great encouragement there paul prays for the thessalonians may god himself the god of peace sanctify you through and through may your whole spirit soul and body Be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. Do you notice here, Paul is praying just like he's called us to do in this section. And as he prays, he is picking up the big themes we've been exploring just now. He prays that the God of peace would enable the Thessalonian church to live in peace. He prays that God would enable their relationships to be right, to live together as God has called them to live to love one another, to, as verse 13 said, live in peace with each other. And Paul prays that God would sanctify them, that is, make them holy, make them devoted. Not just a bit, not just a tiny bit, not just a little bit, but completely. Every single part of them, nothing excluded, is to be kept blameless. To be kept blameless right until the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
Do you see what Paul is praying here? He is praying that God would keep them standing firm to the end. And here's the real encouragement. Have a look at verse 24. The one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. The one who calls you to these things will do them in you. And as this letter has shown, he has done that since the very beginning of our walk with him. And he will do it to the very end. Yes, we will mess up as we go. Yes, we won't always love each other as we ought to. Yes, the leaders may not lead as they should. Yes, the members may not be led as they should. But as we work together, as we work by faith, labour in love, endure by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ, we can be assured that God is working to complete what he began. God has called the Thessalonians through his gospel and he has called us in Hemel Hempstead through his gospel. And so we can labour together knowing that God will accomplish what he started. So, brothers and sisters, let's continue to build one another up, to encourage each other to more and more love of our leaders and each other, and to more and more devotion to the Lord and to his gospel. So you pray God would do that for us now? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would help us to more and more love and to more and more devotion. Would Christ Church Hemel be a church marked out as those who love our leaders? Would the church be one that functions healthily, sticking to the path you have called us to? Father, would this church be known as those who love one another? And would we continue to do that, helping each other to stand firm? till the day the Lord Jesus returns. Would this church be one that is devoted to you, that speaks and listens to you more and more, not one that turns to itself or huddles in on itself, but instead lives in a way that pleases you. And would we be devoted to this message, the message of the gospel that binds us together as your family? Father, we praise you that you are faithful to us, and that you will complete what you began, that you will surely do it. So we praise you for that. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast. Any questions can come to podcast email podcast at david-couch.com. And I'll see you next week.